0: Good morning, Ray Church. My name is Tara, and I'm so thankful for another opportunity to gather online together. Whether you're gathering on the live platform or end up watching or listening to this later, welcome! We also want to say hi to those gathering for a socially distant watch party today. We know there are many familiar faces joining us today, as well as people joining us for the first time each week, and so we want to make sure that we're all on the same page. First, we say this every week, but it's always true. If you or someone you know needs assistance or prayer, we'd love to help any way we can. Please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Here's a quick list of things to note for today. We have resources available for you and everyone in your family. There are Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, wallpapers to remind you of the weekly application question, and a message just for kids. Our Centerway kids learn from the same text, but with kid-friendly content. If you have kids in your home, it's a great way to discuss the Bible and grow as a family. If you're watching live, there are tabs to share your info, give, take next steps, find previous messages, and even to share this message. If you're watching or listening later, you can do all of those things through our website. Today is a very special day. It's of course, Father's Day. And we'd like to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We know days like today can be tough. There are some of you longing to be a dad, those that have lost children. Maybe you're missing your dad or have a difficult relationship with your father. So we're celebrating with those who are celebrating and aware of those who are having a tough day. Remember, God is a good and perfect father and you are on our hearts and in our prayers. Last year, we celebrated Father's Day by giving to an organization that truly embodies our Father's heart to rescue and restore, and this year is even more timely and even more urgent. Project Rescue exists to rescue and restore victims of sexual slavery through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Right now, due to the lockdowns in the countries they serve, red light districts are closed and captives are being released from slavery but they have no resources or ways to survive outside of that captivity. Project Rescue is on the ground, providing healthcare, food, clothing, and vocational training. Centerway will be giving to this effort in honor of our dads. If you'd also like to contribute, just go to our website, centerwaychurch.com, and choose the Give tab. There will be a Project Rescue drop-down. You'll also be able to do that on the live platform Give tab. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and Happy Father's Day. So here's what to expect today. In just a moment, Spencer will be reading the scripture text for us today, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then you'll hear some ways to respond in worship. Immediately after the message, you can head over to Instagram Live or Facebook Live as a way to respond through song. Here's Spencer with a text for today.
1: Hi, my name is Spencer Ogden, and I'll be reading the text for this Sunday. We'll be reading in 1 John, verses 3-10. through Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother.
2: Good morning and welcome, my name is Claude and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors at Centerway Church. Super excited that you have the opportunity to be with us this morning, whether it's live or later on. We're continuing and actually concluding our series entitled Still Life today. And um, the message entitled today is actually victory. So still life, victory. And before I begin, I just wanna recognize all of our fathers that are out there. Happy Father's Day and uh, excited that you chose to be with us on this festive day as we wrap up the series. Uh, we're continuing through uh, 1 John, and uh, specifically 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10 that you just heard. And um, as I was thinking about uh, what to share to kind of start some things off, I actually thought of several things and just figured I'd probably share them all. Um, have you ever wanted to go to a specific restaurant And somebody has an opinion that's really strong about that restaurant. Um, I know that we're in a series, we're in a season right now where restaurants are beginning to open and all that. And so it's funny how some of those annoyances are resurfacing. Like the statement, every time I go there, I get sick. Like every time we eat there, you get sick. Well, I mean, sometimes order something different. Well, no, it just seems like everything I order there makes me sick. Um, one of my favorites is uh, is this. My, my grandmother, when she was still alive, there was one specific restaurant she didn't wanna go because the waitresses were rude. The waitresses were rude. Evidently, they had not changed waitresses from 1980, when she went, all the way through till the early 90s when I was requesting that we go there. No, the waitresses are still rude. Why in the world do you think the waitresses are still rude? Well, because every time I went there back in the 80s, I dealt with probably the same waitress, but that's it. That's all she needed to experience to classify a decision. So some restaurants make us sick every time. Sometimes the waitresses are always rude. One of my absolute favorite experiences that I had was when I was in college. We were going to King of Prussia Mall. And one of my roommates, uh, I wanted to go to a specific restaurant. One of my roommates said, uh, they always get my order wrong there. I don't, I don't want to go there. They always get my order wrong. I was like, they always get your order wrong? Yeah, every time. How many times have you been there? He's like, well, just once. I was like, so they, they've gotten your order wrong once there. So one time. So you were annoyed? And he's like, listen, I don't want to risk it. They're one for one. That's 100% wrong. I was like, holy cow. All right. So we have all of these experiences and these experiences kind of inform the decisions that we make moving forward. And so the question I want to ask you as we begin this morning is, why do we sometimes default to what's known? Why do we sometimes default to what's known? We make decisions based on what's known, what our experiences reveal. And honestly, the question is rather simple, isn't it? We sometimes default to what's known for the simple reason that it's known we know something we have knowledge of something and so therefore it informs our decision this is no secret that we as uh, humans find a level of kind of comfort in that which is known or that which is proven even if you're watching or listening and you are a person that's like listen i love taking risks i'm gonna show i'm gonna throw caution into the wind i'm going to that restaurant even though they're all rude (laughs) even though they they often or 100 of the time get my order wrong if you love taking risks, you love trying the unknown, and you function still with a knowledge base. You still have a base of that which is known that you jump off of. So you understand something that's known, and then you decide to risk beyond that, or you decide to try something new. This uh, the insight that we have, the knowledge base that we have, is that which is what that which is what we personally have known, what we've tried what's proven. It's not up for debate. We have an experience that we can point to, a situation that we know of. Regardless of where you fall on kind of the sliding scale of risk-averse to reckless abandoned thrill-seeker and everywhere in between, we can all agree as humans that that which is known experientially and individually determines our own level of comfort. Even if we choose to go beyond it, we understand what is comfortable based on what we know based on what we've experienced. I enjoy salsa. My wife makes an incredible salsa. If you haven't had it, by all means, ask her for some. She'll take orders. You can pay her. We will be millionaires. Anyway, I love salsa, and I actually enjoy a little bit of heat, too, uh, in the food that I eat. I I don't like very hot things. Um, Like I'm not sure who came up with the idea that if you are somehow inflicted with pain while consuming food, that you are more of a man or like a tough woman or whatever. For some reason, someone took hot food and made it a rite of passage. I have no idea why. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people at different restaurants with just snot running out of their nose and tears running down their face. and everything. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I was like, no, it's not. You're dying. You're about to combust for no reason other than to prove, I don't know, because it doesn't taste like anything to me. It just tastes like pain, hurt, and remorse. And we won't talk about what happens after when it... Anyway, we'll move on (laughs) because the room here that is recording is indicating to me that I should stop and redirect. (laughs) So in either case, I have experienced the heat of a jalapeno. I enjoy them. Like, I think you can get the flavor of something, and and there's a heat, but you can still taste the food that you're consuming. And there's jalapenos in my wife's salsa, and it is a good time. I know that heat, I've experienced that heat, and I enjoy a little bit of heat. But let's turn back the clock a little bit to one of the first experiences that I had with my brother-in-law before he was my brother-in-law. His name is Juan, and he loves some spicy, really hot, crazy hot salsa. And he makes his own salsa. And we were at my parents' house and he was making a salsa and uh, he's chopping up these different types of peppers and everything. And he has this little one called a habanero. And I had never tried a habanero pepper. And I thought, well, is it hotter than a jalapeno? And he goes, yeah, it's it's a different heat. It's a little bit hotter. And I was like, okay, cool. He's like, you want to try it? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try it. I'll try anything. And so I'm, I'm going a little bit beyond what is known what what I've experienced. And so I'm going to kind of take a risk here. And so I scoop some up on a chip and I eat it. And I almost died. That's not an exaggeration. It was horrifying. Immediately, my eyes are tearing up and I'm like, oh, my sweet Jesus. And I there have been studies that have indicated that severe spice can cause heart attacks. I don't know if that's true, but I'm sticking with it. I almost died. The amount of laughter that's going on in this room controlled is unbearable. So I hope I'm bringing everybody joy. In either case, (laughs) the fact is it was unbearable. It was so unbearable that Juan was looking at me like, wow, you are an absolute wuss. I am marrying his sister, but is it possible that he is a complete wimp? And so, uh, as he looked at me with judging eyes, I was like, it's pretty hot and I'm drinking milk and I'm trying everything I can to somehow bring mercy to myself. And, uh, he, uh, he decides that he's going to try some. So he scoops them up and he puts it in and like, he loves hot stuff. But he goes,
1: <laughs> whoo,
2: which if you know Juan, <laughs> if he goes, whoo, that means normal people die. Like, and so he's like, that's pretty hot. And so to this day, he actually feels bad. And, um. I haven't forgiven him. No, I'm just kidding. If he's watching, I'm messing around. Uh, I don't hold anything against him. He didn't realize how hot it was. But the the point is, I made the decision to go beyond what was known. I decided that I understood how hot a jalapeno is, and I was going to go beyond that to a habanero. So I now know what a habanero that is overly hot, because evidently this was an overly hot habanero, not typical. Now I know. My personal experiential knowledge informs my decision when someone's like, want to try this salsa? And I say, what's in it? And they say, habaneros. I go, no, thank you. I would love to, you know, have normal bowel movements for the next three days or whatever it is that your uh, chain reaction of such an experience might be. Listen, the point is this. Our experiential knowledge informs our decisions. Let me say that again. Our not just mine, our experiential knowledge informs our decisions. Our knowledge base informs our decisions. And that's what John is addressing in our pericope this morning in this section of scripture. If we begin at verse four, he says this, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So we see John in this section of scripture, four through 10, kind of returning to the connection between knowing God and doing righteousness. The word lawlessness here doesn't carry the idea simply as breaking the law per se. The term belongs actually, and interestingly, to a series of expressions that describe the spiritual condition of the sinner, their situation and their personal state. It's not what they've done. It's who they are. Let me explain. In our modern terms, there's a person that's speeding and they get a ticket. Let's say, I mean, I don't know. This person is Meredith, just to say what it is that we have experienced. And no, I'm kidding. I'm going to stick with me mostly because I want to survive this. No, Uh, I have gotten a ticket before. I've been speeding and I get a ticket. Okay. Now, as I get a ticket, I broke the law. That's why I got a ticket. Therefore, I am a hardened criminal. Broke the law. I'm a hardened criminal. True? No. That's an overstatement, right? It, it doesn't make any sense. To be a hardened criminal, one would have to break the law on a regular basis. The, the idea of a hardened criminal is the idea of someone that has no regard or little regard for the law itself. Continually breaks it. The basis is a statement of a personal condition. As a result of someone's complete disregard for the law, they continually break the law. And as a result, they are known as a hardened criminal. They would, have, they would be known as a person that practices lawlessness to make the connection. So there's someone that breaks the law. And then there's someone that practices lawlessness. So one who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Lawlessness. There's a connotation of of habitual sin, of someone that's caught up in the continual sinning with, with no regard for the consequences or the implications either to their life or to others or to their spiritual condition, lawlessness, okay? Here's the problem. We all sin, right? John actually says and has completely clarified in an earlier chapter of this letter that if you think you don't sin, you're a liar. So, When do we become someone that practices lawlessness? Like, what is the line? Like, okay, so I'm a sinner. I commit sin. And maybe I even commit the same sin. Is it like two times in a row that now I'm lawless? Am I a person that practices lawlessness? Is it five? Is it ten times? Like... How do you classify someone? What is, it, what is it that puts me in the category of someone that practices lawlessness? Well, we read on. Verse 5 and 6 say this. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And they're talking about Jesus. John is talking about Jesus. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him, who abides in Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. What? Like, wait a second. I'm a sinner that sometimes sins. And so is John telling me that because Jesus came to take away sin and, and if I continue to sin that in some way I, I don't know Jesus, that that I'm not a Christian if I'm also a human? <laughs> The author is, is addressing Christians in this text and, and saying, listen, you know Jesus came to earth to take away sin. You have that knowledge. You know this experientially even because you've felt the burden of your sins lifted. If you've crossed that line of salvation, you know what it's like to be like, hang on, I'm free? Is it possible that I'm, that I'm actually as loved as I always dare dream? Like, I'm set free? Verse six goes on and says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Abides in him keeps on sinning. These are in the present tense. So it means that they're ongoing actions and that they're mutually exclusive. So there's some weightiness happening that starts to clarify some of the questions and tension we have. If you as, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, so speaking to a specific group of people, knowing that we have a wide gamut of people that are listening and, and watching right now from skeptic all the way to committed Christ follower. So if you find yourself in the Christ following category from your own perspective, if you abide in him, then you are a Christian in relationship with him or you continually keep sinning. So you are either in relationship continually with him, abiding with him, or you are habitually sinning. It's an either or. Mutually exclusive is what the text is saying. So let's go back to the illustration for a moment. I'm pulled over and I'm getting a ticket. The officer gets in my car and says, all right, let's go where we're going. (laughs) Okay, he's riding with me. And as I begin to speed, he looks at me like the Holy spirit in some ways. And the, and the officer says, Hey, slow down. You're going too fast. And so I go, Oh, and I slow down now for some of you, your spouse is the person in that illustration. I just made a direct correlation. I'm in no way saying your spouse is the Holy spirit. If they try to pull that on you, tell them that is not what Claude said. And you are grossly abusing an illustration. (laughs) But in either case, the, the officer says, Hey, Careful, you're slowing down. Now I have a decision to make. I mean, you're speeding up. Now I have a decision to make. I've been made aware that I am now breaking the law. So I either slow down or I have complete disregard for the fact that an officer is sitting next to me. And I go, yeah, that's all right, we'll get there faster. I try to justify it. I speed, it's what I do, it's who I am, it's fine. Listen, you got in the car and I just keep on going. So at some point, the decision is made. The decision is made to either respond to the, the law officer saying, you are breaking the law, in which time I can say, sorry, decrease my speed, so I respond, an act of repentance, if we're following the illustration here, I slow down, or the adverse. I don't care. I'm going to continue in my lawless action. And the officer will eventually say, pull over. I can't be in this vehicle while you continually break the law. I represent the law. I can't sit by quietly, pull over, I'm getting out. I'm done with riding along with you. In fact, as you pull over, I'm going to give you a ticket because now you have to bear the consequences of breaking the law. So I'm beating the snot out of an illustration, but it's a fairly good one in the sense that it gives us the idea of what it looks like to allow the Holy Spirit to be resonant within our heart and lives. And pointing out through conviction, the areas that we break the the law, where we violate what it is that we were made and created to be. And we sin and the Holy Spirit will convict us. And in that moment, we have a decision to then repent and change our direction or to say, you know what? I don't care. This is who I am. I'm appeasing my flesh. I'm enjoying the journey. Sit back and relax. And at some point, we make the decision to say, I I no longer want to be in relationship with you. I no longer want your convicting voice in my life. And in that moment, we're choosing to say, I will bear the consequences of the sin of my life instead of repenting and allowing Jesus's fulfillment of the consequences of my sin wash over me. It's a serious decision that's being made. You see, there's there's the idea that um, we can say, sorry, it's super hard for me to read my notes. So I'm just going to say that I can't read my notes right now. I have no idea what that says. So the question (laughs) is about when the sinner, oh, the question I asked earlier about at what point does the sinner sin too much? At what point do we cross that barrier? Do we go from like, a typical sinning human being that's in relationship with God to someone that is a pra- someone that practices lawlessness. And honestly, it's a bad question, right? If we understand now what the text is saying and we kind of theologically understand what it is to be in relationship with God, like that's a bad question. Like at what point do I stop being my parent's child? It's at the point that I decide I no longer want to be in relationship with them. That I'm no longer receiving the love that they're extending towards me. It has to do with a condition of my heart, with a condition of my state. And the same is true here. It goes much deeper than just an act of sin versus too much sin. We love to categorize that. Like, how close can I get to the edge? (laughs) What is it that I can do and how many times before it becomes too serious? But it goes much deeper. Verse 8 starts to reveal... The, the, uh, the depth of this. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's pretty real. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Again, we see in this text, present tense, And abide means to remain with or to walk with, if you can keep that in the back of your mind, if you haven't been with us in past weeks. So listen, when we abide in Christ, when we remain in him, when we remain in relationship with him, in a loving relationship, righteousness is the outflow. We're convicted and righteousness is the outflow. When we abide in sin, Death and destruction is the outflow. We know that, right? And we've experienced that. Our experience has taught us this, and yet we return to sin. If you've been involved in sin, and I know you have as a human being, there are all different types of sin, but regardless of the type of sin that you've engaged in, when that act or that decision or those words or whatever that looks like in your life is complete, you don't feel more whole. You feel more fractured. You feel more broken. The thing that you thought would bring life or the thing that you thought would feel like, oh, there's some revenge. I should feel better. And all of a sudden, the the adrenaline of that moment is not quite as cathartic as you thought. And it kind of wears off. And you look and be like, man, I'm kind of a dirtbag. Like, what is my problem? And, And yet we return to sin time and time again. The word of God says we actually return to sin like a dog returns to its vomit here's what's profound. We all abide somewhere. We all abide somewhere. We remain somewhere. Get this, abide in Christ or abide apart from him. It's either or. To abide apart from him is to choose to abide with the devil. What? (laughs) Like, if you're sitting there, you're like, No, that's not possible. Like, no, I want to choose option three. Like, like there's, there's Jesus and there's righteous living. There's the devil way over there, like totally off screen. (laughs) And then there's like this middle ground where it's just like, I do what I want to do. Like, you know, it's like, I'm not abiding with the devil. Like, I'm just doing what I want to do. Not the way it works. That's not what the text is saying. And honestly, that's poor theology. You will choose to abide and worship one or the other. You're either choosing God or sin. That's the decision. You're abiding with Christ or you're abiding with the devil. It's shocking. It's an either or. I think Joshua said it best in the Old Testament when when he said, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice. Who will you serve? What is it that you will put your energy into? Who is your Lord? The end of verse 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Through His atoning death and resurrection, Jesus dealt with the problem of human sin and as a result destroyed the work of the devil. Listen, sin matters. It matters. We can minimize it, we can marginalize it, we can justify it, you name it. But at the end of the day, it's destructive and leads to death and ultimately hell. Or Jesus would have never come and laid down his life. It's a serious Matter that that often we marginalize and we minimize, we cannot minimize sin or its destructive power in our life or we're not even knowing Jesus. It's like I'm sitting in the car and I don't even know that this is an officer. It's like I didn't even acknowledge or realize I don't even care. It's as if I never knew him. You know, scripture says that one day we'll stand before the Lord, every single one of us, and he'll either say, enter in my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. Not depart from me, you never behaved. Not depart from me, there there were too many sins, and so we tipped the scale into lawlessness. No, no. I never knew you. You didn't know me. We, We weren't in relationship. I attempted to communicate to you so many times and I ran after you and, and all the while you disregarded. Maybe you confessed me with your lips, but your life never played that out. It was, it was a, a passing fleeting moment because the word of God also says you cast out demons in my name and yet I never knew you. So we can be religiously active. We can be churchgoers and tithers and people that, that play the part and yet at our core don't know him. It's like the person that's on back roads doesn't see police officers anywhere just flying down the road. Just 100 miles an hour everywhere they go because they think they'll never get caught. The difference is that we don't live in this environment where Jesus is like... I didn't see that one. I didn't even, I didn't know the condition of your heart on Thursdays. Like Thursdays, I was super busy with the other half of the world. So I didn't even see that. What You got away with that. Well played. No, it's not even about the sinful actions. It's the condition of our heart being an enemy of God, choosing to remain an enemy of God. But, If you're gripped by habitual sin, there's still life because Jesus secured the victory and wants to set you free. He wants you to to abide with him. He wants you to remain with him. He wants you to experience life to the fullness and the freedom that comes with that and the joy that comes with that. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. You will sin. Why? Because every human being sins, as John said, but if you remain with him, if you abide with him... When his Holy Spirit is faithful to convict your heart and be like, why are you making this choice? And you would repent and say, okay, God, I'm not going to settle for a lesser thing. I'm not going to worship the created. I'm going to surrender to you. I choose to abide in you. I choose to remain in relationship with you. The fullness of life that will come and flow out of that. Verses 9 through 10 say, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Habitual sin. For God's seed abides in him, speaking about the Holy Spirit, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So the outflow of one that abides with Christ is someone that 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 apologizes to people that they've hurt. That repents to the Lord and changes their ways, that extends love to the unlovable, to even the enemies. A person that that walks uprightly before God. This means that when we sin, children of God are convicted and choose not to remain in sin because of the grace and strength of Jesus, which means you're no longer gripped by habitual sin. It no longer rules you, you're no longer a slave to sin. In fact, You hate sin. You see its destructive nature. Paul talks a lot about this, that that he literally just loathes the sin of his life. If we could get to a place where we remain so tightly with Christ that when we commit any form of sin, whether it's even done externally or within our heart or in our mind, we we would have almost a repulsion to what it is that we've settled for. It's only possible because... You've experienced something. You know the grace of God. You understand the freedom awarded to you. Experience is, is informing the way that you function. It's because you've experienced the transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus makes all things new. Makes all things new. You think there's no hope for your marriage? Jesus makes all things new. Would you abide in him? Would you put Jesus in the center of your marriage. You think there's, there's no hope for your future. That's a lie. Jesus says you have a hope and he has a future for you. You think you're too far gone or whatever all the lies are. You know what they are. You walk in them. You, you speak them over yourself sometimes. But Jesus says he makes all things new. You can be free and experience still life because of his victory. Because of Jesus's victory, we can be free. So we say here at Centerway that the text requires something of us and this week is no different. I want to challenge you to um, contemplate this question as you go throughout this week. It's a little bit different in the sense that it's not leading you to a specific action. It's actually more something to process in your quiet time or maybe to process with a family member if you're comfortable or a circle if you're part of one. What is God making new in my life? What is God making new in my life? That's the question. Be aware of God's presence in your life this week. That's the action. The action is that you would have a cognizant awareness that God is making something new in your life. What is God making new in my life? For some of you, you might say, God needs to make me new. I need to surrender my life. I I need to, to pray a prayer and ask him to be truly the Lord and leader of my life. I've been playing a spiritual game, but I've not really surrendered my life. If that's you this morning, it's as simple as a prayer in the quietness of wherever you find yourself right now. If you would just bow your head, close your eyes and say some variation of admitting the fact that you're a sinner and that Jesus died the death you deserve, that his atoning work can set you free. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to be the Lord and leader of your life. That's where it starts. If you've prayed that prayer and you want to know what's next, we have next steps for you. We'd love to talk to you, whether it means requesting prayer on the live platform or if it means emailing at connect at centerwaychurch.com. We'd love to communicate to you what it is that you could do next as you continue on your journey. For others of you that have crossed that line of salvation this morning, what is God making new in my life? Maybe it means changing the perspective that you have on sin, starting to realize the severity and the destructive nature of sin in your life. For some of you, the application might involve repenting, not apologizing, because it's one thing to apologize, to say we're sorry. Repenting means acknowledging the depth of what it is you've done and actually choosing a different direction towards God. What is it that I've settled for in the created that only God can fulfill? Maybe for others of you, the action is leading to accountability. The reason why this has gripped your life is because it's just your secret and it's just inside of you, and you're hoping no one will ever find out, and you're protecting and building walls. And maybe it starts with accountability to risk telling somebody that you respect and know, like, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I want freedom. Will you pray with me? Will you hold me accountable? For others of you, you might sit back and say, listen, I've crossed that line of salvation. I have accountable, accountability style relationships. I'm regularly in repentance with God. I'm abiding in Christ. So what's my application? And to you, I would challenge, what does it look like for you to come alongside others and set them free? What does it look like to, to live on mission to share your faith story, whether it means a casual conversation with someone where you simply tell a a testimony of what God has done in and through your life, or if it means sharing the link to this service or sharing next week's link or inviting them to come over to your home and enjoy a watch party or whatever that might look like in whatever season we find ourselves in, the fact is the text requires something from every single one of us. The question is, will we act on what the Holy Spirit is leading us to? And so I want to challenge you to do just that. Lay your hearts and minds open and ask the Lord to do what only he can do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you don't leave us in our sin, that you don't um, just kind of uh, allow us to continue to struggle and wallow in the pain and hurt of the cycle of lawlessness, but that you have a secured victory and that you extend forgiveness and mercy and grace to us. And so, Lord, I pray that today as we rest in that, that we would acknowledge that not only can we experience the still life of abiding in you, but that we can also acknowledge that there's still life when we abide in you, and that we would walk in the fullness of that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen want to encourage you to uh, continue watching or listening as we're going to have direction on how we can respond in song.
0: Hi, everybody. I'm Meredith, and I'm so thankful to continue gathering and growing together. And I'm really excited for all the things that God's going to make new in our lives. He's always at work, even in ways we don't see sometimes. So we want to encourage you to spend time this week asking the Holy Spirit what he wants to make new in your life, and even ask him what new things he'd like to do in and through you. As you're intentional this week to worship with your whole life, one of the ways to worship and to keep these truths in front of you is to sing, which we're about to do if you're with us live. If you're watching or listening to the message later, you can find the songs that we're about to sing on Spotify. Just search Centerway Church and look for our Still Life Spotify playlist. For those gathered on the live platform, we'd like to now direct you over to Facebook Live or Instagram Live so that we can worship together through song. We'll give you just a minute or two to join us, and we can't wait to see you over there.